you're ruling and reigning. The conquering king. The triumphant lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, we set our eyes on you today. We set our eyes on you today. Give us, give us eyes of faith. Let our eyes of faith be enlightened today to see the victory that awaits us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Why don't you tell somebody next to you, say, miracles on your way today. Come on, tell somebody, say, a miracle is on your way today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've been in our Kingdom Living series. It's been awesome. I hope that you've been stretched, that God's been doing supernatural things in your life as a result of this series. The testimonies, the stories that are coming in are awesome. We're going to take some time for those uh, we're going to figure that out when we can share those stories, but some of them are just absolutely incredible. One of them just happened this past week. Um, one of the folks that have been coming, I was hoping they were going to be here today. I don't see them. But um, anyway, they went to the doctor a couple months back and was told that they had um, cancer. It was um, stage four. There was nothing that the doctors could do for them, that there was not even, there was not even a point of doing any treatment. And uh, this person went to another doctor the, about three, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I believe, and the reports came back last week that the cancer is in 100% remission, no need for treatment, absolutely healed. It's awesome. That's our God. So Romans, Romans chapter 4, last week we talked about call those things that are not as though they were. God is speaking over the things that are not. He's bringing something out of your nothing. He's making something out of your nothing. you got to believe against all odds. The, word, the world will tell you what's against you, what you can't do, what you won't do. But in Christ, we see his promise. We get into his word and we see his promises for our lives. And we believe Abraham had to believe against all hope. The, the natural... Abraham couldn't have a child. The natural Abraham, the, the odds were against him, but he had to believe. He had to put his trust, his confidence in what God had said, the promise of God. And what happened? He had a son, and God blessed him, being strengthened in our faith. And so this week, I want to continue on in our journey. If you have your Bibles, in Psalms 35 is where we're going. The title of my message today is Meeting Your Adversary with Joy. And I just, I think it's awesome, the worship, we don't necessarily always coordinate all of the songs. I asked Pastor Grace if she'd sing that song again. We're going to run out and meet our adversary with joy. Come on, say it with me. I'm running out and meeting my adversary with joy. Living in the kingdom, if you're, how many of you brought your Bibles? Let me see. You got your Bibles, you're turning to Psalms 35. Let me see your Bibles. I love seeing your Bibles. Psalms 35 is where you're headed. If you're taking notes, write this down. Living the kingdom life changes your perspective on your problems. Living a kingdom life changes the perspective on your problems. Greater is God who is in you than any giant you may face. I'll say that again. Greater is the God who is in you than any giant. Name your giant. Whatever that giant, whatever that adversary is, greater is he that is in you. Come on, somebody. I need some people who can believe with me this morning, who've got eyes of faith to say, no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through, greater is God. Greater is His power. Greater is His holiness. Greater is His joy. Greater is His peace. Greater is He who is in me. So don't let your problem become a giant. Don't magnify your problem. Begin to magnify the Lord. So living a kingdom life changes your perspective. You can't always choose your battle. You know, ever heard the saying, pick your battles wisely? There's some battles that happen to end up on your doorstep that you didn't ask for. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes there's, there's things that end up in front of you you didn't ask for. You didn't even think they, were, they could even come your way. So some battles you're just not able to choose, but you can choose your outcome. David didn't pick the battle with Goliath. Uh, Goliath showed up on their, on their doorstep, but, but he had a solution. This battle's not mine, David said. The battle is the Lord. So we know, we know that we have victory in Christ. When, remember Jehoshaphat. He was facing the Moabites. They were all encamped against the nation of Israel. And here's Jehoshaphat. What do I do? Fear 
gripped his heart, and he set himself, the Bible says, he set himself to seek the Lord. You know, that's great advice when you're facing any sort of battle to set yourself to seek the Lord. Wisdom always comes. The Bible says that let anyone who lacks wisdom to ask of the Lord who gives liberally. He gives, you know, Heather used that word this morning, generously. God gives wisdom generously without reproach. And so you can set yourself to seek the Lord and he will give you wisdom concerning the thing that you're facing, your adversary and the thing that you're facing. And so Jehoshaphat did that. And what was the wisdom that God gave to Jehoshaphat? He said, put your singers out front. Lead the battle with your choir. Now, I, I don't know about you, and I thank God for our worship team. But, but if we were going to go into a battle, I'm not so sure that they would be the, the best on the front lines with their swords and their spears. And I, that's not the, the vision I get. <laughs> but God said, set your singers, put your praise on the problem. Put your praise on the problem. Transition your focus. Get your perspective off of the problem and put your praise onto the problem. What happens? When you set your praise on the problem, God sets ambushes for your enemies. You don't even have to go in. You don't even have to set foot. They walked up to the edge of the valley and looked in and all of their enemies had killed themselves, had taken care of themselves. So just begin to pray. Set your perspective off of the problem onto your praise. You can't always choose your battle, but you can choose your outcome. I'm going to choose to praise through this situation. I'm going to choose to praise God through this, this, this adversary that I'm facing. And Zechariah, God told Zerubbabel, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. We know the outcome at the very beginning. When they, when they announced COVID and started talking about global pandemic, we knew the outcome before it ever started. Victory! Oh, I thought I was going to get a better shout on that. We knew the, we knew the outcome when it started. I did. Maybe, maybe some of you did. The outcome for the believer is victory. No matter what it is, no matter what it is you're facing, whether it's a family trial or hardship, whatever your adversary is, victory is guaranteed through Christ. You say, well, does that mean I'm not going to face the battle? Absolutely, you're going to face a battle. We're going to take a look at David here in a moment in Psalms 35, and he was facing some battles. In 1 Samuel, we find David at the battlefield with, with Goliath. And, you know, I think back, before, before we read Psalms 35, I think about David at, at the battlefield. Here he is, this man, he's never seen a giant. They've never dealt, he's, he's conquered the lions, he's conquered the bears, but here's, here's a first, a nine-foot-tall giant. He's, he's not had to deal with this. Israel's not had to, I mean, this is new territory. And he goes out, and this is what he says in verse 46. This day, everybody say this day. He went out looking at Goliath, and he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know, nine foot, here's David, a teenager, and he's looking at Goliath. This day the Lord has given you into my hand. Do you have the eyes of faith? And the confident expectation in God enough that you can stand in front of your seemingly eternal big giant and saying, I'm taking your head off today. I'm going to lob that thing off and roll it right up in front of Saul and say, look what God has done. And that's exactly what David did. He, he killed him and he chopped. I mean, this is a bloody story. He, he, takes, he takes off if you can imagine, you know, a nine-foot giant, his head, cuts his head off, dripping. And what does he do? He brings it back to the city and says, see what God did? See what God did? We don't have to worry. God takes care of our enemies. I bet that will do something to your enemy. When, when you start carrying around the heads of your giants, 
Come on now, when you start carrying around the heads of your victories and saying, look what God has done. Look at the strength of the Lord. Look at the power of God. Look at his might at work in my life. I think sometimes we, we get so uh, uh, wimpy that, you know, well, we, we don't really want to do that. I mean, what would happen? What will people think? No, I think we need to be bold and declare our victories. Look what God has done. When, you've, when you taste of the healing work of Jesus in your life, my goodness, Put it on social media. When God does something in your life, tell people about it. Share the hope that you've been given. Amen? Amen. I'm getting ahead of myself. In Psalms 35, <laughs> let's read this. Psalms 35 and, and verse 27, it says, Let them shout for joy and be glad. <laughs> Let me read that again. Maybe, maybe you weren't ready. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Okay, you're catching on. You're catching on. Who, who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. I love, I love this part. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. If you read... Through Psalms 35, it does not sound like verses 27 and 28. Actually, David is talking about his adversary coming against him. Saul is hunting him, trying to kill him. And so all of Psalms 35 is David thinking about his enemy that's coming against him. And he ends the chapter with these verses. In spite of my adversary's work against me. In spite of what's going on around me, let them shout for joy and be glad. In spite of what's going on around me, let the Lord be magnified. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You know, with the naturalized, David said, I'm living in caves. I don't look very prosperous. I could be living in a palace, but right now I'm living in caves. I don't look, it doesn't look too prosperous. But the Lord has Pleasure has delight in the prosperity of a servant, and my tongue shall speak of your right. I could talk about my problems all day long. There's enough, there's enough happening all around me. David said, I could talk all day long, but my tongue, he doesn't say that. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and your praise. So the eyes of faith, the perception of faith, living the kingdom life changes your perspective. It doesn't mean that problems won't happen. It doesn't mean that your adversary is not going to come. But you have a battle plan for when he does. You have a plan of attack for when things happen. And, it, and it, it's not bringing up the, the, the problems and the situations and the issues. It's shout for joy. Number one, it says shout for joy and be glad. Joy is not just an emotion. It is a way of being. Joy is a fruit. Everybody say fruit. Of the Spirit. Love, joy, it's right there. It's the joy, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible has a lot to say about joy. James tells us, one of my favorite verses, I use it a lot, but James 1 and 2 tells us to command ourselves to be in a place of joy when you face trouble of all kind. We, whenever you face trial, whenever you face situation, command yourself, tell yourself, I'm going to be joyful. When I'm facing my adversary, I'm going to go out and meet the problem head on. I'm going to run to the battlefield with joy. When the Israelites were facing the walls of Jericho, the very first step on their journey to the promised land was Jericho. So the walls were so large you could run chariots along the top of them. We're talking massive walls. And what do they do? They begin to walk around the city. And in Joshua 6.20 it says, So when the people shouted... When the people shouted, when the priests blew the trumpets, it happened that when they heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down. Now, there's not, there's not some supernatural uh, ability in our shout of its own 
to cause walls to come down. If that were true, this building would be leveled. We have, they're shouting all the time. But, but there's, there's something about the release of your praise when you're facing your, your walls. When you're facing that obstacle, when the adversary has come against you, you begin to shout out victory even when you can't see it. Even when the walls are still standing between you and your promise, you begin to shout out your praise to the Lord. We, can, we shout out in joy. And Isaiah says, cry aloud and shout for joy. Isaiah 12, 6. Cry out, shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One. You know, there's, there's a perspective that you and I have that, that the world doesn't have. In the natural, you can't see the work of God in your midst. In the natural, you can't see the power of God and the, the things of God. It comes by spiritual eyes and spiritual perception. It comes through spiritual eyes and spiritual perception. And so when we see, like Isaiah saw, the Lord in our midst. Oh yeah, Isaiah. (laughs) Remember Isaiah? Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. Yeah, he saw the Lord. He knew the power of God. He saw saw the temple shake at the presence. He saw the doorpost of the temple shake at the presence of the Lord. He knew what it meant. And so you and I have eyes that are set on the Lord. We see him in our midst, in the middle of the adversity, and we can shout with joy. Psalms 95.1 says, come let us sing for joy and shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of my salvation. That when I'm facing my, my Goliath, when I'm facing my Goliath and I want to run out, in Saul's armor. You know, if you go back, and in, in, I'm going to reference back to 1 Samuel 17, probably throughout this message, because it's David, and I love this story of Goliath. But when he gets to the battlefield, he, he asks, what's going on? Why, why are the Philistines defying the armies of God? Why has this man come out to defy the armies of God? And the first thing he's given is this report that the man who can take down that giant they're promised what? Three things, the gold, the girl, and the glory. And he, that, that's always the case. The, you know, it's always the case. If you, can, if you can conquer in the natural, if you can have success, you can get the gold, the girl, and the glory. You can have it. And David starts to fall into that temptation. And he puts on Saul's armor to head out in his own strength. And what does he do? He says, no, this doesn't, I haven't tested this armor. This isn't right. This battle is not, this battle's not mine. It's not, about the, it's not about the misdirected worshiper. See, David was a worshiper at heart. David was a worshiper at heart, and he knew that he could pursue the gold, the glory. You can go back and read it. You, you can pursue the gold, the glory, and the, the girl. You can get it all, but it's misdirected worship. That's not, that's not the promise. That's not the outcome that God, there's something bigger. There's something bigger at the outcome of this. At the end of this, your victory There's something more to this. Hang on, we'll get there. But there's something bigger here. And so what did David do? He took off Saul's armor and he, what? He picks up the stones. He picks up the stones. What does Psalms 95 say? Let us come to the Lord with joy. Let's sing for joy and shout joyfully to the rock. Do you hear it? To the rock of my salvation. David, I imagine when he wrote Psalms 95, is thinking about that rock that went into that sling that he began to whirl above his head as he's running out to the battle line. And he lets that rock go and it sinks into the forehead of his giant. It, he goes, it goes, sinks in, knocks the giant out, kills him, starts the process. Does anybody hear me this morning? I'm going to shout to the rock of my salvation. That the very promise that I am releasing right now, the very thing that God has said over my life, the promise of victory in my life, I am releasing that thing. And as I do, I'm shouting with triumph. I'm shouting with victory. As that rock goes through the air, I'm shouting to the Lord my victory, the rock of my salvation. In the kingdom of heaven, we... Breathe in His love. The Bible says the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, sheds abroad the love of God in our heart. As we take in the love of God, we breathe out His joy. 
You breathe in his love and you just breathe out his joy. It's just that natural. And in the kingdom life, we're just, it should be that simple. We're breathing in his love and breathing out his joy. Everything that we do in our life is an overflow of the receipt, the, the, the receiving of his love. Everything that we do in this life, you hear what I'm saying? We're, we're breathing in, we're taking in his love, just like we breathe in oxygen. And we breathe out joy. That's, that's the joy of of the Lord is my strength. How do, how's your body strength? It starts with the oxygen. It starts with what you're taking in. Your body is strengthened by what you put into it. And so we breathe in. We take in the love of God. And that love produces joy in our heart. Everything we do becomes an overflow of joy. Let me, let me give you another scripture on this. In Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verse 22, it says, A joyful heart doeth good like... That's good. Let's say it again. A joyful heart is like... Medicine. A merry heart, a joyful heart is like medicine. You breathe, The love of God, Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. And here in your heart, it, it makes that, that love into a merry, joyful heart. And it does what to your body? It's like medicine. You want to know how to overcome adversity in your life? You've got to have a joyful heart. A heart that's filled, that's saturated in the love of God. A heart that's taking in his love. And that joy is like medicine to your body. It's a, it's a declaration of praise, but his joy, it does something to you. The Bible says that the Proverbs 17:22 that that his joy is like a medicine but if you continue on in despair it does what it causes your bones to become brittle very practical wisdom you can have bit brittle stubborn stingy offended hurt bones that have no life but what happens when the power of God begins to flow in your body? Your, your heart is, is overflowing with medicine for your body. How are you going to deal with COVID? How are you going to deal with the pandemic? This is a good verse for you. With joy. How are you, you going to deal with illness and sickness? With joy. How are you going to deal with your adversary? With joy. Eyes of faith. See with eyes of joy. There's an over, he fills my mouth with laughter, with joy. David said, magnify the Lord. Let the Lord be magnified, verse 27. Number two, magnify the Lord. You cannot exaggerate the greatness of God. Let me say it a different way. You need to engage with the greatness of God. You need to engage with the greatness of God. Sam, for Samuel 17, David was standing at the battlefield and he said to Goliath, you've come to me. You've come to me with your spear and your javelin, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord. You might be big, but the name of the Lord's bigger. You might be carrying your, your spear and your javelin, but, but I've come to you with the greatness of God. Engage with his greatness. Engage with his power. You know, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 3, I'll read it because I, I love this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, it says that you would be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, breadth length, height, and depth. I want you to know the greatness, the magnitude of God. Knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know, you can't even begin to comprehend his love. It's so great. I mean, you just, just one drop. I mean, in this life, we're just getting taste, little taste, little, this, little nuggets, little drops compared to the magnitude of God's love. I want you to know. And he says to be filled with all the fullness. To engage, we're talking about engaging with the magnitude of Christ. And he says what? Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do abundantly. Abundantly, more than all we can ask, think according to the power that is working with us. Abundantly, above and beyond anything that we can begin to wrap our minds around. That is the magnitude of God. 
So when David says, let the Lord be magnified, he's not saying that God is he's somehow limited or smaller. The original text here is God is great, engage with his greatness. Engage with the, the greatness of God. Instead of seeing your adversary as your giant, stop making your adversary a giant and magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I think about in, in Acts chapter 19, if you, if you reflect back in Acts 19, there was a great awakening in, in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the, the worship center for Diana, the goddess. I mean, this is talking about pagan worship. I'm just absolutely filled, the city absolutely filled with pagan worship, with witchcraft and sorcery. We know that when the revival broke out in Ephesus, when God began to move in Ephesus, that they brought out all of the, the works of witchcraft, all the books, all the magic arts, and burned them in the middle of the city. That place was in absolute upheaval. I mean, you've got to think, this is where Paul went, and he found some disciples, and he starts teaching them in the synagogue, and they get mad at him for what he's teaching, and they kick him out of the church. Sound familiar? They kick, they kick him out of the church. George Whitfield had that problem too. You know, he started preaching in his church in London. And the, the history tells us that, that he drove there was 12 people mad in his first sermon. He was, literally drove them insane as he was preaching. They got so, I would imagine they were probably possessed with some sort of religious demon. Anyway, they got mad at him, kicked him out of his church, locked the doors on him, said don't come back. So George Whitfield came to America, as you know, that he, he and Edwards were the, the carriers of the First Great Awakening. A lot of yeah. folks, you know, a lot of people say George Washington was, was the most famous person, but history actually tells us that Whitfield was one of the most famous people during that time, and it's quite likely that his preaching is what stirred the Revolutionary War. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other history lesson that, that our schools won't teach you today. But that's, that's a little bit of spiritual heritage there. But anyway, so they, they got mad at Paul, kicked him out of the church, and said, you know, we don't want you preaching this message. And so what? He goes down and rents a, 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 the bingo hall or whatever, goes down to the, what's, what's, this, what's this place down the road? The... the whatever, it goes down the Polish-American place. Yeah, goes down the road, rents that. Says, that's okay, we'll have church here. If you won't let us have church in the church, we'll have church here. Does it, it's not about the building, we can do it here. And what does he do? And he preaches, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? And they didn't know. And he lays hands on them, and they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. My goodness. Changed that moment. Ignited a fire that changed the world. We're here today. We're here today because of what happened in Ephesus. As Gentile believers, you and I, we're here today because of what took place in Acts 19. And this is what it says. I, I, I took a long time to tell that story. But this, this is what it says in Acts 19, that the name of Jesus was magnified. In the middle of all of the depravity of man, the name of Jesus was magnified. That's the kind of life I want to live. You know, we can talk about our problems all day long. We can talk about the, the pagan worshipers. We can talk about how they ran us out of the church. We can talk about those stubborn religious people. We can talk. I can tell you about religious people. I, can, I mean, I can tell you about church problems. If you want to know about church problems, I can tell you about church problems. But I don't have time to stand up here and tell you about church problems. I don't have time to stand up here and tell you about woe is me and I can't believe they done did this and did that. I don't have time for that. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You know what I have time for? I have time for miracles. You know what I have time for? I have time for the prosperity of the Lord. I have time for his breakthrough. I have time for his good. I'll make room for those in my agenda. <laughs> Magnify the Lord. David says here, if we continue on, he says, let the Lord be magnified. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant? I love this. Now, there's a lot of people who are anti-prosperity gospel. And I, I think people have twisted it, don't get me wrong. 
But God is not against prosperity. I, thank you. I'll take that one amen. <laughs> There's a lot of people that have twisted the prosperity message, but God is not against prosperity. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to have success. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I, I'm glad you're with me. I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I... I Want the blessing of the Lord. I don't know about you. I want his prosperity. I want his goodness. I want his success. We often limit, we limit our view of prosperity to whether or not you have a certain dollar figure in the bank. Prosperity goes beyond how much money you have. You can be poor and prosperous. You can be rich and broke. Does anybody hear me this morning? God wants you to be prosperous. Let me say that. God wants me prosperous. I like that. I, that was only three of you. Let's try that again. God wants me prosperous. That's what he says. I want you to prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. That's what he says. That's what God says. You know what, you know what else he says? He told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. So that you might have success. Keep the word of the law. Keep this law. Keep my commandments. That you might have success in all that you do. It's the same God who said, I've anointed you to create wealth. Prosperity. There's nothing wrong. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? I think there's, and this, what I'm hearing this morning, what I'm seeing is just, it echoes to me. How much and how easily we believe the, the bad report than how quickly we are to believe the gospel. Where it's easier, it's easier for us to believe and hold on to, look how people have twisted the gospel, than it is, it's easier than saying, well, this is what the gospel says. Let me, let me give you another example of this. I, I'm not going to belabor this, but I want, I'm trying to help you this morning. I want you to walk in breakthrough. I want you to walk in blessing. So I've got, I've got to give you Jesus to help you do this. So let me just keep walking this out. Common example of this. Well, we don't want to pray in tongues because we don't want to offend anybody. We'll, we'll, we're okay with praying in tongues, but we'll do that in the back room. So people, the spiritual gift, spiritual thing, I'm not saying celebration. But this is, a, this is what happens in church because we don't want to offend people. We believe in it, but let's regulate it. Well, instead of, instead of pushing things away that you don't know how to teach and pastor people through, how about you get in the Bible and see what the Bible has to say? Jesus believes in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus believes in speaking in tongues. He even taught about it. He said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak in other tongues. It's there. It's in the Bible. It's real simple. And so things that we get uncomfortable with are things that we've seen people take out of context. We tend to shy away from. But I've said it before, tell me a doctrine that people haven't taken out of context. It doesn't mean that God is against it. It means that we have to learn what God's saying. And God says he delights in your prosperity. You say, well, then, pastor, if he delights in my prosperity, why am I not being prosperous? Well, the first thing is you got to know what prosperity is. First, you got to know what it means to be prosperous. And then second, you've got to, just like any other promise, you have to learn how to appropriate that for your life. You had to learn what salvation was and how to walk out your salvation. Amen? You had to learn what salvation is all about and then live out your, your redemption. I'm being told to switch microphones. Does this help? You, you were told, you, somebody preached to you, somebody told you the gospel of salvation, right? And you had to learn how to appropriate that in your life. Just like healing. Somebody told you that God is a healer and he's able to heal and restore your body. And you had to learn how to walk out and believe God for your healing, right? So that's every area, including the prosperity of the Lord. So let me, let's dig into this. He says, I take delight, the Lord delights in your prosperity. That word prosperity is the word shalom, the word peace, the word well-being. God wants you to be 
prosperous. And he, obviously the devil doesn't want this message being preached because we're just going to deal with static all morning. The devil's just jumping into the, to the things here, and that's okay. We're just going to keep going. That means, I've talked about this before, but the shalom of God is nothing missing, nothing broken, everything in order. God wants everything in your life to be in order, functioning in peace and wholeness. Did you hear me? Every area of your life in shalom, in order. The gospel message is not just about salvation. The gospel message is about restoring your life to divine order. That's why we're on this series, Kingdom Living. It's about getting your life into divine order. Somebody come help me real quick, Jen. Somebody. My wife disappeared. Let's just take that. Thank you. Whoa. It's about every area of your life getting back into divine order. From health to finances, your marriage, your relationships. Come on, somebody. Do you see what I'm saying? God wants every area of your life in divine order. That's the word shalom. David was being hunted. David was being pursued by his enemy. And he, in the middle of his adversity, is able to say that God is delighting in what? My prosperity. I might, have, I might be dealing with an adversary, but God is still delighting in my prosperity. He's made me prosperous. I, everything is in order. We would think sometimes that, you know, if someone's working against us, trying to kill us, something's out of order. But he was right in the path that God wanted him. William Tyndale, who was murdered for the, for the gospel, literally, was right in the path that God wanted him. Right in the path where God wanted him. You say, how's that? You know, God, look at all the, look at every, every apostle. Jesus even said, they're going to hate you and deliver you over to be killed. Yeah. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. So it's not about necessarily our physical safety as much as it is the work of God in us. The prosperity of the Lord in us, the shalom. Did you know that you can have shalom, you can have well-being, you can have health, everything be in order, and the world be in absolute turmoil? Everything around you, there are lessons about peace that you can only learn when you get on the boat out in the middle of the storm. There's lessons about the goodness of God that you can only get when you're out in the middle of the storm. Everything in order. Remember, if you go back, um, let's go to Luke. I want to I read this because this is really good. In Luke 17, Luke 17, verse 11, it says, And it happened when he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a certain village. And who met him? There was ten men that met him as he entered the village. And they were what? Lepers. These were the unclean. Leprosy was very transmittable, probably very worse than COVID. And here he is, Jesus, hanging out with the lepers. And they lifted up their voices, standing from a ways off, and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And then it was that when they went, they were cleansed. That word cleansed there is they were ceremonially healed. They were ceremonially cleansed. There was a healing. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is, we're talking about the shalom, everything in order. The first nine got there. They all got healed. All ten of them got healed. All of them, the, the leprosy stopped. All of them were able to go before the priest. And the priest declared them ceremonial, ceremonially clean. But this one, this one man comes back and he gives glory. He gives thanks 
Talking about magnify the Lord early, exalting him, giving thanks to the Lord, shout for joy. Gave thanks. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and said, go your way, you have been made well. That word well is the sozo, you have been made well, completely restored. That means the, the first nine, the leprosy went away. But if, if they were missing fingers, they were still missing fingers. If their nose had come off, they were still missing their nose. But this man came back and gave thanks and was restored. This man came back and as he gave thanks, not only was he healed, but fully restored. That's the shalom of God. That's the prosperity of God. He wants everything in your life. What the enemy has taken the lies that you've believed, you know, sin has its consequences. You know, sin, sin has its results. When, when we live in sin, you know, no matter what the sin, you know, if you're addicted to drugs, drugs have an effect on your body. If you're, if you're having, um, you know, whatever the sin is, I'm going to just have a list of sin, whatever, whether it's lying, whatever it is, sin has its effects. It affects us emotionally. It affects us physically. There's consequences to sin. But God is in the restoration business. Not only does he save us, that's, that's the first part of the work. He saves us. He pulls us out of our mess and calls us his own. But he also restores what the enemy's taken. So if there's, if there's effects in your life from the drugs, from the relationships, from the issues, if you've suffered emotional trauma, if you've had issues in your life because of a sinful world, you know, sometimes things happen to us not because we chose to do something. Sometimes things happen to us because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And our God, our God is a God of shalom, a God of prosperity and well-being, a God who wants to restore divine order to your life. So what the enemy's taken, God will turn it for his good and your glory. His, your good and his glory. And flip that. He will take it and make it for your good, your benefit, and his glory. You know, that's, that's the redemption message. That's the redemption message. Could God have said, oh, well, I don't want them, Adam and Eve, you're never going to sin. You're never going to make a mistake. And I'm just going to make it so you'll never sin. Yeah, absolutely. He was God. He made them. He could do that. But he didn't. He had, the Bible tells us, before the foundation of the world, Christ, the plan of redemption was in place for you and I. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to blow it. They were going to sin and mess up. And there was a plan of redemption and a plan to bring things back into divine order. Psalms 37 says, The Lord be magnified who has delight, who takes pleasure in your prosperity. Just a little echo there to remind you that here. It's a heavenly chime. The angels are singing, God wants you to be prosperous. <laughs> what was that? You read 2 Corinthians 9? Let me go there. I, I wanna, I just, I'm going to take a moment on this because I think this is so powerful. 2 Corinthians 9. I'm just, I, are you okay if I just spontaneously teach here and just... Do this. Are y'all okay with that? I'm just, I'm, I want to help you. I want to talk about the prosperity of the Lord. There's, there's a word here that Heather read that's really important. And if you hear it, you just, you think, oh, she just wants my money. God's just after my money. And you, uh, yeah, you laugh because you know it's true. But that's not at all, that's not at all what it says. So let me help you. He says, first off, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5, he says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. In other words, Paul says, I'm directing the leaders of the church to tell you. He, <laughs> he says, I'm, Paul writes, the apostle Paul, you hear it, tells the church leaders, I'm telling them to tell you to get an offering ready. You 
Okay, I'm just making sure you hear that. I, I, just, I don't want you to think we're doing something unbiblical. He says, tell them to get an offering ready. Okay, then it says, prepare your generous gift beforehand. When it ta- this, and it goes on, this, a generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity. That word generosity there, that this is a matter of generosity, it is a matter of bounty. Did you hear that? Okay, so I need to keep helping you here because I see this. So, this, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to baby step it. We're going to stair step this. In other words, what Paul's telling them is this. This, is not a, this isn't just about your giving. This is about you walking in abundance. The word there is bounty. I want, this is a matter of you being bountiful. What is bountiful? We don't, we don't use this word very, very much these days, but bountiful. It's like if you can think of baskets of harvest, bountiful means to fill up and to overflow. That God wants you to have a bountiful harvest, an abundance in every, every Come on, somebody, that's what it says. Say, Pastor, I don't see it. Well, then you need to walk in this. The promise of God is yes and amen. Remember, I've, I've been quoting it for weeks. Psalms says, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that's gone out of my mouth. He says, I will bless you. It's right here. This is a matter of bounty for your life. You keep going and Paul breaks it down. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You choose the return on your investment. Right here. You choose the return on your investment. And this... This is not, don't get mad at me. This is not just about money. I hear the wheels turning. This is not just about money. If you are stingy in your joy, have you, have you ever been around a cranky person? You don't want to be around them very long. Guess what? They're sowing and reaping something. Don't elbow your husband. <laughs> I saw that. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. You around somebody who's cranky, you don't want to be with that. It's sowing and reaping. But when you sow, we, we, were, uh, we went out of town um, this weekend. And Friday, I was telling one of the, I don't know what you call them, one of the workers. <laughs> I don't know what their official title was. They were nice. One of the workers, the hotel that we were at, the, they were one of the workers. Yeah, something like that, one of them. So I was telling, I said, man, y'all are so nice. This is just, you know, it's just nice to be in a place where everybody's so nice and so kind. I was just trying to compliment them on, on their service. It really was great service. And... Um, she said, well, it just, it makes it so easy when all of our guests are so friendly. And I thought about that. I was like, well, thank you. I will keep being friendly. But I, I thought about that. I was sowing something and I was reaping something. It helps because I was being friendly to her. And it was easy for her to be friendly back to me. I was sowing and reaping. Right? So they're sowing. The Bible says in Genesis that this principle shall remain. Seed time and harvest. What you sow, you'll reap. So that's what I said. You choose your, your return. You can sow sparingly and reap sparingly, or you can sow bountifully and reap bountifully. So that's easy. This is not hard. This is easy. God wants you to live prosperous. So let each one who gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity. Yeah. Now, now we're talking about generous giving. We're talking about the overflow. Have you ever seen someone who just loves to give? Yes. Well, what do you need? I'll, whatever, what do you, tell me what you need. I'll give it to you, whatever you need. You need that? Okay, you can have it. Here you go. Whatever you want. How much money is it? Let me write the check. You need clothes? I got it. I'll take care of it. Right? You want to go out to eat? I'll take care of your kids. Whatever you need. Right? You see what I'm saying? The generous heart. The generous heart. The overflow. That's what he's talking about. It's not out of necessity. It's not out of grudging. Well, I have to take care of them because they're my brother and my sister in Jesus. (laughs) 
I'm a Christian, so that's what Christians do. You know, this is every area, too. It's not just finances. It's how you read your Bible. It's how you worship. It's how, come on now. So, so the attitude of the heart, and God, God addresses it here. Remember what we said earlier from Proverbs 17.22? A joyful heart. What does it say? A joyful heart is like medicine. What does God love? A Out of the abundance of your heart, you see? And God is able, he's able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency, that you always, you hear that, having all sufficiency in all things, have, have, have what? A lack. Is that what it says? Yeah, it says abundant. It says that you might have an abundance for every good work. You don't have to strive to get something done. The gospel message is free, but it costs money. There's an abundance. Now, I'll keep reading. Verse 10. This is where I was going. That was all the introduction to this message. Sorry, I'm going to wrap this up. I, I, know, I know you're all like, Pastor, we agreed to a, si- a slight detour, not an hour-long <laughs> second message. I know. I know. And he said, he who supplies seed to the sower, supplies seed to the sower, he supplies seed to the sower. If you ain't sowing, you don't need seed. If, there's, if you're not putting something in the ground, there's nothing. You don't need seed. If you're not a farmer, you don't need seed. But if you're a farmer and you want to harvest, you got to have something to sow. So God says, if you're going to sow, I'm going to give you something to sow. It might, you say, Pastor, I don't have a lot of money. I don't, get get off the money. Yes, it is money. Sow a smile. Sow a smile. How about you start sowing some joy on Facebook? (laughs) Don't shout me down. and so he gives you seed for sowing and what bread for food seed bread he gives you seed and bread and what and and supply he not only gives you seed for sowing he gives you bread whatever you need to live The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Yeah, he takes care of it all. Right? So, not only does he give me seed, he gives me bread. And what? And multiplies the seed you have sown. And the increase, the fruits of your righteousness. You put a seed in the ground and he multiplies. You know, have you ever planted an apple seed? An apple seed doesn't just produce one apple. It multiplies and produces a tree of apples. And you plant, you eat some of those apples, make some good old apple pie for your pastor, and then you take, as a tithe, right, as a tithe, you bring it to the house of the Lord. Hey, can I tell you a quick story? I know this is, I'm sorry. We had... Y'all are going to love this. We had, we had a family in New Orleans when we were pastoring who had chickens. And their one chicken wouldn't lay eggs. Uh, this is an honest story. They had a chicken who wouldn't lay eggs. And they, they got so frustrated, they said, well, we're just going to tithe off the eggs that our one chicken did lay. So we're going to take the first batch of eggs that the first chicken lays, bring those to the church, give them to Pastor Zach as a tithe, and then we'll just believe the Lord for the rest. No joke. They went home. They brought us the, the eggs, went home, and both chickens were laying eggs. No joke. Come on, he multiplied those eggs quickly. So he multiplies. You sow it, multiply. Let me jump back. Psalms 37. I got to finish this message. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants everything in your life to be in divine order. 
And part of that, he wants your life in divine order. Notice the verse 28 that follows this. Where does this divine order start? It says, my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. What am, I, what am I talking about? What are you talking about? Are you calling those things that are not as though they were? Are you saying, this is what the Lord said. This is what he's speaking. Though my adversary come up against me, I will shout with joy and the voice of triumph. I know my God is able. This battle is not mine. It is the Lord's. In Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, when David was fighting Goliath, he says, he says God is going to do this. God's going to bring me victory. In verse 47, it says, Then all the assembly shall know it is the Lord who saves us, for the battle is the Lord's. He said, I want everybody to know. We're going we're gonna to set this precedent that God's going to take, take out our enemy. He's going to deal with our adversary. The battle is the Lord's, and everybody's going to know about it. Yeah. We're going we're to talk about his praise and his righteousness all the day long. Yeah. Psalm 71, 15, David said, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I can talk all day and not even begin to reach the end of your righteousness. Spurgeon said this, he said, Mouths are never so usefully employed as in recounting the righteousness of God revealed in the salvation of believers in Jesus. The preacher who should be confined to this one theme would never need to seek another. There's an unending supply. When, when, when Peter and John healed the lame man. For 40 years, this man from birth had, had been lame, laying at the temple gate for a day in, day out, begging for money. Peter and John come up, the man gets healed, and they get arrested. <laughs> they get arrested for healing somebody. They get arrested for preaching the gospel. And the religious leaders told them, stop preaching, stop doing this. And what is their response in Acts 4? We can't but help tell of the things that we've seen and heard. We can't but help. The word says we don't even have, it means we don't have the capability, we don't have the strength or the will of mind. We don't have the ability to not speak. It's just overflowing out of us. The goodness of God is just overflowing out of me. I just can't help but talk about. So, so maybe you need to change your, your conversation. Maybe you need to change the speak that's coming out of your mouth and change the narrative a little bit and get off the politics and the COVID and the whatever. And just, there's an endless supply when you're talking about the goodness of God. And when you talk about the righteousness of God, there's, there's, the Bible says there's life and death in the tongue. So what you say either is producing life or death. You, when you start talking about the righteousness of God, it's guaranteed life, guaranteed joy, guaranteed peace. So for us as believers, worship team, come on back. If you're living a kingdom life, it requires a change of perspective. When you're facing your adversary, when you're facing off in the battle lines, you're saying, oh yeah, the world would tell me that I'm defeated. The world would tell me it's not possible. God wants you to have the impossible. I said God wants you to have the impossible. He wants you to do the things that the world says impossible. Only believe. Only believe. Man, God wants you to believe that this morning. God wants me to do the impossible. The things that the world... God wants me to do those things. God wants you to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. God wants you to preach to the, those who are lost and see them born again. God wants you to walk in the abundance, the prosperity. Everything in order, the supernatural peace. That's, that's the life you're called to live. That's the kingdom life. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me this morning? Kingdom living. I want you to think about what one thing in your life, if you were gonna, if you were gonna adjust it, you were gonna start living as a son or daughter of the king in that area of your life. One area. Don't, I mean, I know, you know, there's probably many areas we could all name. But one area, one thing that you'd say, you know, if I started living like Jesus wanted me to live in this one area, I start living the kingdom life in this one area, what are the possibilities? What could Jesus do in that one 
area. One thing. One thing. What could God do with that? The man with the leprosy. Just, just got to give thanks. Just one thing. I just got to give thanks. And not only did he get healed, he got restored. Every divine order. You know, the other thing that that tells me about that story and many other scriptures that could reference this is that restoration, the restoration life, the God kind of life, that sozo, Zoe kind of life of God is available. But it's only accessed by the worshipers. It's only accessed by those who say, I'm going to shout out for joy, the glory of the Lord. I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to live that kind of life. That, those are the ones who access this kind of stuff we're talking about. Only those who are willing, like David, to get a little undignified, shall we say, only those who are willing to get outside of the common sense into supernatural wisdom and say, God, you said and you stand on his promise for your life. God, you said you were going to supply a home for me and my family. You said you were going to supply a home. And so I'm just going to praise you as if it's already done. I haven't gotten to the battlefield yet. I haven't gotten out to the battle yet, but I'm going to thank you like it's already done. God, you said I was going to have a child, so I'm going to thank you like it's already done. I know I don't have a baby yet, but I'm going to thank you as if I already do. Am I right, Veronica? Number two, I'm going to, I'm going to thank you. I may not see the healing with my eyes yet, but I'm just going to thank you because I know it's on its way. Because you take pleasure. You take delight in the prosperity of your people. So, so I know whether it's manifest now in the natural or not, I know it's on its way. I know you've got it handled. Whatever it is, you've got it handled. 